I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 99 from inside a burlap sack here in 2020. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. And I'm Phyllis Cove. And with us today is Brianna Ziegler. Uh, she's a film journalist with Scream Queens. And you like the way I put the uh, emphasis on Scream Queens and Film School Rejects. And freelancing all over the place. And we're, it's a pleasure to have you today, Brianna. Thank you for showing up. Yeah, thank you for having me. On your couch, because we're Zooming. Yeah, exactly. we're Zooming, and it's great. <laughs> do you like my horse painting? Isn't it very yeah, nice? Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> I, ha- I have to say, too, that, um, I mean, I, I obviously I follow you, follow you on Twitter, and I, I think I have somewhat of a sense of your taste. So when I reached out uh, to have you on, this was a film I have cows that- on my wall. You do have cows in your wall. Oh, um, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> um, it, it felt like a film that I was a little surprised you hadn't seen before. Um, just because it feels like it may be, and I don't want to presume anything about you, but um, it felt like something that might be in your lane or that you might be interested in. Um, but this film was something you hadn't seen before. Um, you certainly hadn't seen it in 99 because apparently you were four. Yes, this so, is correct. But... Um, <laughs> So what was your, what was sort of like your first kind of, this is a pretty aggressive movie, I guess is what I'm getting well, at. I, I want to ask a question before that about your, your yeah, intro. Yeah. Brianna, what would you say your lane is? Because I uh, feel like Phil presumed that you have a lane and I'm very interested to hear what that might be. 
Um, like with movies, like just what I gravitate towards. I yes. guess like yeah. weird, like weird, uh, fucked up <laughs> stuff. Um, I guess I like all kinds of stuff, really, but like probably like comedies and super like gross, weird, horrific things. That would yeah, be comedies like, are pretty boring, but what are the gross, horrific things you like? Um, well, I was thinking about like this is not that horrific, but when you were saying like, oh, what movies from '99 did you like? Um, like Eyes Wide Shut is like probably one of my favorite movies now. It's like so like it's the best. Yeah, it's oh, so it's the yeah. fucking best. Yeah, um, but too. I love um this director that's uh has he's like kind of newer, but uh I think it's Jim Hosking. He did the Greasy Strangler and An Evening with Beverly Lufflin. That one isn't as bad, but the Greasy Strangler is like one of the most like, like sounds upsetting, disgusting movies. And it's like, but it's like really funny and like I don't one know, of the most it's disgusting titles. <laughs> yeah, it's a really gross title. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's literally all about it. grease. It's it's quite literal, but um, oh, yeah, no. Amazing. Audition definitely like. I mean, I've heard of I've heard of it, and when you mentioned when you were like. Why, why have you seen audition i was like oh fuck like how have i not seen that before like I, i've known about it forever it's just one of those things where it was like i guess always in the back of my mind but i just never like went ahead with I mean, it so i was so Takeshi, on board like takeshi mikay who i mean I, i'm not i i can't go particularly deep into his filmography because there's only really i've really only seen a couple of his movies but i mean he's made over 100 films uh he's not even 60 yet, or he might be a little over 60. Um, he's obviously very prolific. Um, this was the film that kind of, it was probably his breakout. It feels like it certainly was the movie that kind of broke open that whole Japanese horror stuff to, to North America, uh, the ring and, and, uh, Ringu and, Ringu. and, and those kind yeah. of, yeah. Um, and the grudge, like those movies kind of came over on the backs of this movie a little bit. Um, but this movie's a lot more sort of, um, I don't want to say meditative, but it seems a little bit more intellectual to a certain degree than some of those straight up horror movies. Like, I think this movie has something to say. I'm not entirely convinced that The Ring or, or The Grudge have as much to say, but mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about that. The Ring and the... <laughs> I've never seen The Grudge. That I remember okay. seeing trailers for it as a kid, the American remake, and really being freaked out. But I, I've never seen the... Uh, I've seen the... Um, the remake of the ring but i haven't i haven't seen like a lot of like like japanese or korean or like i i don't know i need to i need branch to branch out, yeah. out in my foreign films um i'm 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 like way too comfortable in like watching like what i'm familiar with so this sure, made me sure. this made me really want to look at his other movies because he was like a director who like i've seen people talk about on twitter and like that i've known about for a while and for it's sure. just like with audition itself, it's just one of those things where it's like in the back of my mind, like, Oh, I have to get on this, you know? And then I, after, I would say that Ichi the killer, yeah. if you like gross movies, that's the one to watch. Yeah. I was, I was, after I watched this, I like looked up like his other stuff. And then I read about that one. I was like, fuck, I want to watch it. It seems like so messed yeah. up. Like I read it yeah. on Wikipedia about how like, um, God, when it screened or something, he ha he gave people like barf bags, but it's like a comedy, I think. <laughs> I mean, it's it, yeah. I mean, I think we can we'll, we'll, we'll talk about his sense of humor because it certainly manifests itself a little bit in this film, um, in terms of how dark his comedic sensibilities are. But I mean, literally, yeah. the title of Ichi the Killer is spelled out in semen at the beginning of the film. So like, nice. It's, it, is, it definitely. <laughs> 
it, it is it is going <laughs> for it. Demon. Yeah. So <laughs> I got to see that. Talk you talk about for prolific. So even in 1999 alone, mm-hmm. um, now again, like some of these movies were released in different years, but you know they they sure. have to get released at some point. But uh, in different countries. But in 1999 yeah. alone, he he had five movies, and a manga right. series, and a television series. <laughs> oh wow! So so, and that's not atypical for him in the 90s. I mean, the year before he directed one, two, three, four movies. The year before that, four movies. The year before that, six movies. So. It's his his thing was in and out two months on a movie. We get the script, we shoot it, we we um, edit it, and then we put it out. And I I I don't mean this in any like derogatory way, though I feel like it it, it might come across that way. Right. Um. Okay. Like it, it almost seems like it almost seems like one would stumble upon brilliance if you do that. Like so many people who have done this, like a yes. Roger Corman or a Trauma, have occasionally stumbled upon brilliance, or so it would seem. But there's nothing about Audition that seems like it's a stumble, right? Audition is incredibly intentional in everything it does, and it's actually a really slow and contemplative movie considering you know, people who the, – the schlock masters of the world generally do you know, uh, really, really like kind of – Things like semen horror that that isn't that isn't that meditative. That just got a thumbs up for our listeners from Brianna. Nothing wrong well. with semen horror. <laughs> and I'm to- totally in favor of all forms of you know scatological humor and horror. Sure, but this is a very slow movie. You know, it, it, it's the kind of thing I feel like. Now granted, it was based on a novel, but it's the kind of thing that I feel like would have to be gestating for years and years and decades. Uh, in order to actually come into the world the way it did, because I, I mean, yeah. you know, spoiler alert, I think this movie's fucking brilliant, and it might be my favorite movie we've done the the whole time. So uh, it's shocking. It is the most <laughs> shockingly brilliant, beautiful, dark, and yeah. uh, and depressing, and lovely, and like scary movie, and romantic in a weird way. Like it's it's there, it's it's doing a lot of shit. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I, to your point, Kenny, it, it's, it's very intentional. Um, I've seen each of the killer. Uh, I actually saw his film last year that came out, uh, true love or something love. I can't remember what it was. It was a love story in sort of this like, uh, uh, crime mobster movie. First um, love. First love. Yeah. Which I quite liked as well. Um, but this movie he, he is the dead or alive series. The first of which came out in right, 99. Right, right. We might be hitting that as well. Right. Um, he's just a, a really, really fascinating filmmaker. And it's funny, two things came to mind as you were talking, Kenny. The first was, um, Brianna, we just did an episode on The Limey before this one, okay. uh, the Steven Soderbergh movie. Right. And Soderbergh's a guy who I would imagine, Kenny, uh, would really respect Takeshi Miike in, in the way no that doubt. he, right? Because like Soderbergh, if he could make, you know, four films a year, I think he would. Um he, he's a guy who who just you know it's not about quantity or quality it's just like he just wants to be making art and that seems to be where Takeshi is coming out on this which is I just want to make content for people and and hopefully some of it will hit some of it won't but I just want to keep making stuff um it's a very uh um suspenseful movie in a weird way I don't know if you felt this way about it Brianna but like you're waiting for a shoe to drop mm-hmm. for like 90 minutes almost right like you're just like something's up with this girl don't trust this situation like the horror tropes are kind of there i don't know if you if you see that 
Hmm. Do you see those? Did you did you feel that oh, sort of yeah, that yeah, horror yeah. suspense? Yeah. The whole thing that you were saying, like the last like, what is it? The last like twenty or thirty minutes where you're like not yeah. sure if it's like a dream. Like the whole time, I was just like, "What the fuck?" Like when <laughs> when's he gonna wake up? And then when he does, he like goes back to sleep, and then he wakes up on the other thing. But the whole before that, the whole sequence where it's like, it's like a flashback to the girl's life, but he's there and it like doesn't make any sense as to how he's able to see this about her. And I'm like, what, what, I'm like, what are they going to tell me what's going on? (laughs) And then they just don't. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I really I, I appreciate the, imp- the the kind of impressionistic components that you're talking about, like this idea that like you don't know what's real and what's not. And a lot of people interpreted not to jump around, but we will in terms of the, the plot. But like a lot of people interpreted the ending, the dream component as kind of it was all a dream. It's pretty obvious to me. And I don't know how you guys felt that when he wakes up in the hotel room next to her, having had his foot sawed off at that point, but he wakes up and everything's fine. And she accepts his proposal. It's obvious that that's the dream, that that's what he wished was going to happen. Not what actually happened. Like what actually happened is she sawed off his. That's not what I think. Oh, that's not what I think. No, (laughs) I think think it's a dream. I think, and I, and and that's why, that's why I like it. Really? Yeah, huh. I think it's a dream. Um, in fact, okay. like I think that that's I think that's the more humanistic uh, reading of the movie. I think uh, there, I don't think there's anything that actually supports the idea that she's a killer, right? Like anything. If if you if you look at really? it, if you look at it huh. as a that's a dream, right? There's nothing mm-hmm. outside of that from the beginning part, um, or the parts when they're in the hotel that supports that reading. So if you take that, what I love is this idea that it's his guilty conscience for replacing his wife, for doing mm. something dirty and trying oh. to audition a new wife, for huh. um, being scared of this girl based on virtually nothing. Um, and the idea that like something – I don't know if you guys have had this experience. I know I have where you've had a dream about someone and it's changed your opinion of them in real life. 100%. Yeah. 100%. That's a scary phenomenon. And to have that happen so vividly, because I don't think any of the stuff, the burlap sack, I don't think any of it. I think we're all seeing it through his perspective. So um, I I love that reading, by the way. It's it's super. And it's so sad and depressing to me that like, despite it all, because it, it is a nice horror movie setup, but despite it all, he may have actually found a nice vulnerable person who, who has never been loved like this and who seems to love him in return and something about the way it all came together, you know, kind of infiltrated his like dirty, nasty mind. And his friend is definitely a part of that too, right? Like his friend, his friend incepts him and plants the seed that there's something up with her. For sure. Uh, And also instigates this bad behavior because it is bad behavior. It's a bad thing to audition Audition women women. (laughs) ostensibly to be your bride. So yes. it's this bad behavior and it's guilt and 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 that that's the way it seemed to me, and that's kind of why the ending was so sad to me, uh, and beautiful and mm. uh, impressionistic and you know it felt like a Godard movie for the first yeah. ninety yeah. minutes of it, and then you get into this real kind of J horror thing and you end with this Godard feeling, 
you know, this I'll never see you again, which he never will. So either that's that's how I felt. But I, I love it, that reading. I mean, I, I don't I don't. Interpretation for yeah, sure. yeah, 100 percent. How did you what was your takeaway, Brianna, in terms of like, did you think it was a dream? Did you think that it was real? I thought it was real, but I really I liked his argument. That was that was really good. Like that made me like completely because when you because because like um when he goes to like visit, I'm trying to think about when he goes to like kind of hunt her down or like hunt down mm-hmm. her past. I'm trying to mm-hmm. based on your reading, I'm trying to remember if like anything he gets from that is 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 more than just circumstantial. Like when he goes to the ballet or, or a hallucination for that. Yeah, moment. Or yeah, a like you don't know, yeah. Like well like especially when he goes to the bar and they're like oh she never worked mm-hmm. here but like someone got murdered or whatever. Yep. It's like that mm-hmm. still doesn't prove anything, you know? Right. Like it, it's all circumstantial. So. It's also, you know, when when he sees the the tongue flapping and like the fingers and the ear and all that shit on the ground, like he yeah. just sees like he envisions that that's not actually yeah. happening in front of right. him yeah that's i mean that's a really uh, you know it's funny I, I did a fair amount of reading on this and takeshi is 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 pretty mum about the whole thing you know the film was obviously divisive at the time um and it and, and it plays a lot with you know feminism and you know masculinity and all of these things so people were looking for very binary readings of it and i mean if i'm being honest i guess i i kind of did too but it's it's just interesting that he's got a kind of Lynchian quality to him, which he's kind of like like let the movie be what the movie is and interpret how mm-hmm. you want to interpret it. Um, and I think your reading of this is is fantastic, Kenny, and and it makes me like the film that much more that it can exist in those different headspaces. Um, yeah, it's it's I, it's interesting. I was as I was watching it, I thought about um, the girl with the dragon tattoo a little bit at the end, mm-hmm. especially where sort of. You know, a, a woman getting revenge on on men and and the way that they treat women, and um, I can't believe someone hasn't gone for Halloween as uh, <laughs> as Sami yet. Um, just with that, with the black leather gloves and the and the black apron, it's fucking awesome. But um, yeah, it's just I, I think that the film just struck a chord. So it's released in in uh, in. Okay, so I'm going to walk through the sort of... I'm going to give a synopsis and then I'll walk through how it was released. But basically, Audition Follows, and forgive all of my pronunciations, I'm going to butcher them and I apologize, I don't speak Japanese. Uh, Audition Follows Ayoyama, a widower who decides to start dating again. Aided by his film producer friend, Ayoyama uses auditions for a fake production to function as a dating service. When he becomes intrigued by the withdrawn gorgeous Asami, they begin a relationship. However, he begins to realize that Asami isn't as reserved as she appears to be, uh, leading to gradually increased tension and a harrowing climax. The film was written by Dasuki Tenjin, based on the novel of the same name by Ryu Murakama and directed by Takeshi Mikkei. It was released on October 2nd, 1999 at the Vancouver International Film Festival. And it would get a wide release across the world throughout 2000 and 2001. Um, so I'm pretty sure I didn't see it until 2001 because I don't know that we got it stateside until then. But uh, it has 81% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 80% from audiences. Uh, that kind of surprises me a little bit that the audiences were as on board with it as they were. <laughs> um, just, But um, I'm going to read a couple quick reviews because I feel like they uh, give a little bit of context. The Guardian gave it five stars, said Asami is an avenger bent on punishing Aoyama's typically Japanese male arrogance, but also his self-pity and his insipid uh, misogynism uh, in truly horrible scenes, a stomach-churning masterpiece. The LA Times said a diabolical, adroit piece of filmmaking that goes even further than the films of Dario Argento. 
Uh, Sight and Sound called the film a slow-burning but ultimately devastating horror pick. It's a virtuoso piece of filmmaking with much more subtlety and depth than McKay's other films. Tarantino says it's a true masterpiece if there ever was Mm. one. Rob Zombie admitted that he found the film to be most creepy and unsettling than any horror film he's ever watched. Uh, And Polygon said audition is... Yeah. Polygon said audition is special. Both part and apart from the J-horror wave that was sweeping through America and both part and apart from Mikkei's other work, which has approached its extremes but not to this level of sophistication and restraint. It's fun to imagine someone watching Audition with no expectations whatsoever, but a lot of Mikkei's work, he's setting his own context for how viewers can see his film. The ground shifts beneath their feet. 20 years later, Audition looks more like more than ever, like a pivotal moment in international horror, which would soon get flooded by J-horror like Ringu and The Grudge, an extreme cinema movement in France with films like High Tension uh, and a run of post 9-11 shockers like The Devil's Reject and Hostel. A lot of those films were dismissed as torture porn, but in hindsight, they were more sophisticated than the label implies and now feel like a collective effort to bring horror in line with 21st century real world atrocities. Audition opened up new frontiers for the genre, not merely in how graphic it could get, but how ambitious in theme and form. Kiri, 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 as Osama would say, deeper, deeper, deeper. I, I, I really do think that this film um, is a straight-up masterpiece. I don't think that at the time it was maybe given as much credit as it deserves. A lot of hindsight, a lot of these articles are written within the last year or two, and a lot of people looking back on this, especially through the lens of a post-Me Too world, where this film potentially holds a lot of power. I think so. Yeah. I mean, all, all, yes to everything. Um, I think that, I mean, I, I think that this stands above um, the girl, the dragon tattoo and, and so many other movies for me at least, mm-hmm. because I, as, at least my reading of it, it's ultimately not a, re- a revenge thriller. It's yeah. ultimately a, it's ultimately a um, commentary on, on the, the, the fakeness and the, the the superficiality of what men expect out of a relationship and sure. how <laughs> and, and, face and, is amazing. and how like insecure and vulnerable men are to their own imaginations when it comes to you know what they perceive to be their <clears throat> yeah. their their ex their expected ideal out of a woman and in this case it's like it couldn't be more clear you know docile and subservient and younger and all these things like, like she's almost even the son chiming in about like make sure that she can cook better than our. You know what I mean? Like these things that they that they project. Yeah, in 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 this is what he deserves. But I also respect that in the real world of this film, at least in my opinion, this is not a thing that actually happens, right? Which is fine, and I'm totally down for worlds where it does happen, right? I'm totally down for like. You know, a different kind of revenge thrill. Every every movie takes place within its own reality, so that's fine. But I think that I think the first ninety minutes of this movie are, are like spectacular in the way they're played out, almost like a romantic drama, like a little bit of a romantic comedy. They're they're they're, they're it's so warm and engaging, and we're all complicit in kind of this like disgusting, like you know, old man, young woman. Interchange, interchanging, interchangeable thing. I think that uh, I, I think it's like an incredible commentary on the way we kind of churn through young actresses and men churn through young women. It's it's pretty thrilling to me. Like, yeah, that's that's my feeling on that. 
I I I, comp- I completely agree with you. I I I, I want to read one other quick thing because it completely piggybacks on what you're saying. Um, Little White Lies had a really great piece that they wrote about this uh, at the end of last year, I believe, where they said audition offers an ingenious twist on Japan's national femininity by subverting the passive female horror narrative. Back in the early 2000s, the power dynamics of men and women within Japanese society were shifting, much to the dismay of Aoyama and uh, Yoshikawa, yeah. who connect this shift to the demise of the entire culture. Concurrently, the objectification of the female form was and still is widespread in pop culture, highlighted in film from glaring mockery to the numerous parallels drawn between women and dogs, not to mention the aforementioned audition scenes. But Asami lashing out against these increasingly tiresome expectations, proving to be the most extravagant paradox of the quote-unquote obedient wife Aoyama was hoping for. The subject appears to mock the anti-feminist push and pull still present in today's society. Within Mikkei's twisted environment and the realms of hardcore horror, our antagonist is an exaggerated feminist icon in leather-clad disguise, mm-hmm. which I think is is completely sort of... Like, that's the thing that I think really hit me this time around was just the how much of an affront this is to Japanese culture and the perception of women within Japan. Like this film would be audacious in North America as well. And it obviously is, but back, you know, but in Japan, it's, it's a whole other thing um, that, that Mikkei is sort of, you know, thumbing them in the eye, which I think is, is brilliant. I said one other thing, not to filibuster, but (laughs) In America, I think there would be an attempt to make her very sexy. Oh, 100%. And mm. I think that there would be this idea of, like, let's have our cake and eat it too. Now, I, I think Girl the Dragon Tattoo undermines my point a little bit because I don't think that they're trying to do that with her. But, like, but but it's there. I think it's there. And it's also not an well, American. Mara is an – I mean, yeah. There, objectively there is a, beautiful girl. Yeah. But uh, – it's also not an American source material, so there's something to that too. Mm-hmm. But um, I would hate I would hate to see an American remake of this. I think it would miss the point and like be very which there is in development as we speak. One I believe. No, is there? Oh, it'll suck. There's one thing I wanted to ask. That was something I was thinking when I was watching this. Is like. I feel like, I mean, obviously a lot of your interpretations are because you've seen it like multiple times, whereas I feel like I was just kind of like taking it in as one thing. And now that I'm listening to you guys talk about it, I'm like, whoa, wow, holy crap, I didn't think about this before. But like one of the things I was thinking about was, was how I should watch more foreign horror movies because the ones that I watch are always so much more extreme. They go to such like, I feel like more fucked up lengths than... And I've watched, like, a lot of American horror movies, but they just, I don't know, like, on the whole, they just never go to the extremes that I want them to. And I've, like, watched a few, like, Australian horror movies in particular that really push, like, the limit of, like, ugh, I don't know what the word is. I I can't think. Well, I think but that just, there's, just, I think there's, you know. there's something to sort of, um, to, to, to jump on what you were saying a little bit. Like, I, I do think that, most American horror films, and I am not a horror aficionado, so I probably shouldn't be saying this, but when everything is said and done, they, they don't actually, like, they might be scary on some level, but they're not deep. Like, they're very superficial. Whereas I think that foreign horror films, or at least uh, some of the Japanese horror films that I've seen, they're they're talking about a whole bunch of shit that I feel like American films just don't go to. I don't know if you feel that way, Brianna. But. I don't. <laughs> 
I, I don't either. I, 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 please go for I it. Disagree I disagree strongly. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, two against one. That's right. <laughs> Let's get them. But I mean, you, you said you don't watch a lot of horror, and I, I watch I don't, like, a I lot don't. of horror movies. <laughs> I guess I just, I guess my feeling is that in general, and I, I maybe I'm painting with too broad a brush. I, I guess I just feel like violence for violence sake tends to be something that's a little bit more American than mm-hmm. it is international. I think that violence is, is just interpreted differently internationally than it is here. That was kind of what I was getting at. Hmm. Okay. All right. But, but listen, two against one, you guys win. That's, that's, that's I, I'm, not de- I'm not defending you, Phil, because it's a terrible take. But I will, I will, I'll work, I'll work to try to, I'll work to try to explain what I, where I think you're coming from to some extent. Um, one, we've had a bad batch of horror films in 1999. So we've had horror films that aren't really horror films, right? The, the Haunting's not really a horror film, but it fits into, you know, like that box. And House on Haunted Stigmata. Hills. Stigmata. We haven't done it yet, but yeah, the, like, yeah. Stigmatic, stigmatic, of days. A, 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 a tremendous movie, not really horror, but Stigmata does <laughs> is kind of is is kind of to me almost the exception that proves what you're saying, which is Stigmata is ultimately about nothing. I mean, we did watch, you know, Ninth, <laughs> Ninth Gate, right? Like Stigmata and Ninth Gate are an soon. attempt yeah. are an attempt to be about something, but they're not mm-hmm. really going that deep into it, and and everything they do um, say is on the surface. Good Correct. horror is never about, you know, the end of the world or that kind of shit. Like, I just watched, for instance, It Follows, mm. which is, like, a really good movie about sex. Like, ultimately, it's a really good movie. Another of- thumbs up from, from Brianna yeah, for wait, her audience. Woo, it, it it's a, I mean, it's a great movie, and it's just about, like, how how vulnerable you are when you sleep with someone that you don't know that well and the yep. things that can happen to you. And it's not like anti-sex in any way. It's just much like audition. It's about these things, you're, things that go through your head when you're getting intimate with someone, when you're trying to figure it out. And like every year now, every year there are like three or four and, and Brianna, you obviously go much deeper than I do on this because the ones that I watch are the ones that kind of, you know, bubble to the surface like the It's Follows and the Babadook and, and Girl Walks Home at Night, those kind of things. I haven't seen The Witch, but like the things that kind of <sighs> bubble to the surface. But there are so mm-hmm. many, like, you know, my <laughs> if I had time. Does Midsummer just... also fall into that category for you, Kenny, do you think? To some extent, yeah. I mean, you know, but like also the orphan and and uh sure, 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 sure. quiet place and the sure. um um what's the other one that was that the, what about the Jordan Peel stuff? Does that oh heredit hereditary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get out! Like, that's what I'm trying to say. Is like every year there's like now like four or five like prestige horror films that come out. Totally. But what I'd love to do is just dive into fucking Shutter and just like because all that Rob Zombie shit is not just is not just violence for violence sake. Hell no, Rob Zombie rules. Yeah, like the Devil's Rejects (laughs) is scary shit. Devil's Rejects is so good. Yeah, and it is about, but that's ultimately Devil's Rejects is not about like we're just going to scare you. It's about fucking. It's about privilege. It's about these people who don't have to go into these worlds having to go into these worlds, and it's not about like going to worlds of like murderous people. It's literally about walking into a neighborhood you don't know. That's what the Mm -hmm. movie's about. You know. 
So well, then I, I I want to I, I want to apologize for my grossly superficial take on American <laughs> horror films. Uh, I don't I don't know enough about them because I'm a big wuss and I don't like being scared. I have enough anxiety in my life, so I tend to not watch <laughs> horror films. But uh, but I do hear where you're coming from, Kenny, and I do think that um, you should watch more. It's like therapy. Maybe that's true. Um, I probably set. should. I probably should. I mean, I like specifically. I want to watch Midsummer. I haven't seen it yet. I hear it's fantastic, um, and it's not that you know, scary either. I, I had to take a Xanax before I went to see Us, so just to give you a sense of just That's how fair. Us is kind of creepy. How, so, but I but I think that. Um, but to your point, Kenny, I do think that that's accurate. That that horror has now. I don't want to say elevated, but there's there seems to be tiers, I guess. You know what I mean? You have your A24 horror films, which tend to get a lot of critical praise and do relatively well and, and are you know mid mid budget, so they don't require that much of a, a risk. Um, and it does feel like Jordan Peele has opened up a lane as well, which is fantastic. I mean, I really love Get Out. I think Us is great. Um, you know, I'm curious to see what that Candyman remake looks like because that looks really cool. Um, but, so, but yeah, don't I, I would also say don't underestimate the B movie stuff because like so much of of Hollywood history yeah. is built on this idea of like in the in the 30s 40s 50s 60s mm-hmm. you basically had studios that turned that churned out maybe 15 quality A movies a year yep and then about 100 B movies right sure. so there and B movie doesn't mean like Anything other than it was the movie that played along with the A movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like an A side and a B side of a track. So, so many of those movies are the movies upon which, like, our genre foundations are built from, like, you know, like uh, the original Little Shop of Horrors and uh, fucking Invasion of the Body Snatchers and George Romero stuff. And these are all B movies that have been, like, wildly influential movies. Um, so I think that like uh, the reason I the reason I love horror like plain and simple is because it's not boring like beginning and end right like you're not <laughs> bored when you're watching a horror movie and I'm so bored watching so many movies but it's also a really easy way to talk about other things because fear is like one of the yeah. two most powerful emotions it's fear mm-hmm. and love that's the end of the story what's well, it's funny you say that because it does feel like i mean i think it was sam raimi who said it i'm sure other people have said it too but that there's a reason why a lot of first films are horror films mm-hmm. they're relatively inexpensive to make to your point, it's easy to keep people's attention. And also to your point, it's easy to bake in a whole bunch of themes. So you are saying something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I totally get all of that. And I, and I really didn't mean to be dismissive of the genre. It's just, you know, uh, I'm scared of well, Hollywood's shadow. giving so, you so many reasons uh, you know, to be dismissive. But okay. Brianna, Brianna, Phil and I yeah. have only seen one movie together. In our entire lives, it's true. It's true. Uh, even though we've been like very yeah. good friends for about twelve, or 50, like fifteen years, and, we and that we've discussed over one hundred and fifty movies together thus far, but we've yeah. only actually seen one movie together, and it was crawl. It was great though. The oh, alligator nice. movie. Ah, that's and a fun movie. He sat through it. He clutched my hand. He watched it through his fingers. But he he did a great job. I was so proud of him. So proud of you, Phil. Thank thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I I think we both loved it. It was was touch and go for a little bit. Uh, No, Crawl was fucking great. Um, Crawl is like, again, like 
a masterpiece of of uh, simplicity. You know what I mean? Of just like yeah. telling a clean story, and you understand like you got to get the fuck out of the house because there's a crocodile in there. Like yeah. it's just it's just good shit. Yeah. Um, and then we have a crocodile movie next week, which we can talk about we it do. too. I'm um, not sure if there's I'm not sure if there's an cool. allegory in crawl. But it's still a good movie. I heard I someone say. I heard someone say it's about uh, global warming and climate change, oh, and I was that. like, I'll you know that. what? Sure. That kind of works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the weather component, sure. That's I'll get. I'll, I'll take it. Flooding, sure. Have you seen? Uh, we're going to talk about it at the end. But uh, Lake Placid is what we're doing next week. I don't know. If, have you ever seen Lake Placid with uh, I, Bill Pullman and Bridget Br- Br- Fonda? Lake Placid. Is that no, no, no? I'm thinking about. Is it another alligator movie? Yes. Yeah, okay. I think it's been on my watch list. I think it's a Although giant it might alligator be... movie. I've never seen it. There is, is a, a there's an alligator movie from Australia. <laughs> another like good like Australian oh, yeah. horror movie that is also about an alligator that I've been meaning to watch. But there's, actually, there's an alligator movie called The Pool that's like mm-hmm. coming out this week. Yes, that's that what is, I've heard. Yeah, heard it, it's it, mm-hmm. apparently it's great, and the whole movie yeah. takes place it. in a drained swimming pool. <laughs> Where a guy is stuck there with a hungry alligator. All right. And apparently it's good. That so maybe we can great. watch that too. All right, but let's talk more about it. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about this. I wanna uh, I wanna talk about something real quick, because this is something that feels to me like is in a lot of um uh I don't want to say horror films, but we can say horror, but duality, this idea of how you perceive yourself how others perceive you and then the projection that you put on other people. I bring this up because it feels like there's a little bit of vertigo in this movie. There's a little bit of Asami and, and his perception of his wife and what he's trying to kind of, definitely he's trying to force her into a box. He's trying to force her into this, you know, perception he has of himself. Um, You've seen vertigo. Have you seen vertigo, Brianna? Yeah. Yeah. Vertigo's the ship. Um, Vertigo is fantastic. I think there's a little bit of that in this. Um, there's sort of the Kim Novak, the the handcrafted replacement of a lover. Um, there's certainly that kind of uh, element to it, which again, like these are all things that make this film not just feel richer, but step outside the box of the genre that people think it exists in. Like that's why I think this film has such a a, a big footprint, not just for Japanese horror, but horror in general, because I really think that it kind of shifted everybody's perspectives of what could be done within the genre a little bit for what that's worth. Um, I, I'm not sure what to make of all the dinosaur stuff with this sound. I don't know what that's supposed to signify. I don't know if you guys had a take on that. Oh, wait, what was it? I forget. This <laughs> He's was... like doing a bunch of research with this girl on dinosaurs. Oh God. I like vaguely remember that. Yeah. It comes yeah, up like yeah. at least two times, no. I think. Yeah. And his room is like filled with dinosaurs. Yes. That's right. I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand what this is, but yeah, I didn't either. But I do love that he's in the dinosaurs. That is pretty cool. No, no, yeah, I, I don't have a take like in any way, but but just a, for just as a viewer, uh, there yeah. is something. It's just so stupid, and I have no yeah. idea if this was intentional. There's no way they did this because it's just for an like a, like a baby like me. But there's something grounding about as an American viewer watching a Japanese <laughs> movie uh, about like the kid just loving dinosaurs too, because like. We're all into dinosaurs, right? <laughs> yeah, dude. Like we all love dinosaurs. Yeah, we love not, dinosaurs. You're not, you're not into dinosaurs like you haven't thought enough about it. Like it's so cool. It's so crazy <laughs> that that there used to be That's these sick. giant fucking beasts all over the world. Like, could you imagine? So I love that. Like he that that people are. It's so lame, and I'm such like I'm such a like a. 
fucking dumb, ugly Americans saying this, but like we're all into the same shit, you know? Yeah. And I love that. Dinosaurs are fucking dope. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, I wanted to give two little bits of uh, production trivia that I loved. The first was that the film was screened at the Rotterdam, Rotterdam Film Festival Rotterdam. in 2000. Rotterdam. Uh, it had a record number of walkouts, and at the Swiss premiere, someone passed out and needed emergency uh, attention. So that's awesome. What part um, do you think it happened at? Give me. I would imagine it's the end. <laughs> no, no, not the end. Give me, like, give me the moment because I, I, I know, I know it would make me maybe like, lose my shit. I feel like it would either be the part where she puts the sticks in his eyes or eyes. Like, oh, eating yeah. the. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> No, is that what it was? I, I, can see. I, I think it's. I don't, they didn't say when. Oh, they didn't no, say. Oh, I would have thought when they passed it. I'm with your second with you, one. The, the vomit. Uh, the, yeah. Speaking of, of the, the vomit. The disturbing of the vomit. Yeah, I heard this. Time. Did you hear about the vomit, Kenny? Do you, do you yeah. hear this? Yeah. Oh. Well, I heard so the dog I heard it was, bowl it of vomit uh, is the actual vomit of the actress. No, because, what? Because the, the guy who was in the burlap bag wanted to make sure that he was method about it, so he ate her actual vomit. Oh, I thought she was method. I thought I heard she was method, and maybe they're both method. Dude, if that guy was really method, he'd have his fingers cut off <laughs> and his tongue. Oh. But it's here's what I'll say. I read that piece of trivia before rewatching the film, so I was really expect. It doesn't really look that much like vomit. Like it just kind of looks oh, like a bowl of like yeah. <laughs> everybody's vomit's different phil that's what i've heard uh so yeah uh i can't believe that the that the actor actually ate the vomit but listen that more power to them i guess damn daniel day Lewis that's some divine shit method, <laughs> like, eat his heart out. it's like yeah 100 yeah i know ddl wouldn't do that shit that's method, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, let's just walk through the plot, essentially. If, uh, if the American ahead. remake had Daniel Day-Lewis in it, Ooh. I would I'd see watch it. it. I'd watch That's it. the only way. <laughs> you know who I would watch a version of this movie directed by is the Safety oh. Brothers. Sure. <laughs> I'd watch a Safety Brothers remake of Audition, essentially starring anybody. But, you know. I'm gonna go a different direction than you. Okay. Okay. I want it. I want an old white guy's version. <laughs> I want Ron Howard to direct the remake. <laughs> yes, actually, no, you, you know, what? Me, that's so unhinged. I want it. Give me Ron. <laughs> Howard. It would just be so bad. It would revert to good. Uh, <laughs> I thought you so were gonna crazy when you said old white guy. I thought you were gonna go Clint Eastwood. 
Oh, no, no, no. I'm not I'm not making a joke. I <laughs> I think I don't think Rod Howard's would be good, but I would just like there's just something about like the way his brain. The thing about Ron Howard is, yeah, Ron Howard thinks he can do anything, right? 100%. Yeah, like totally. he yeah. thinks he can. He thinks he can walk into the middle of a Han Solo movie and and fucking deliver it. So like he <laughs> thinks, and he you know he's done he's done some stuff that he should have no he, he should be nowhere near. So I think right. he would like look at it and be like oh, oh I, I got a take. And it would be so bad and weird. Um, so, but it would um, be but really I, fun. speaking of remaking these films, I feel like I'd be remiss to not bring up Old Boy. Mm. Um, and the and Spike Lee movie, the forgotten the forgotten Spike Lee uh, joint. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw the original. I never saw the remake, so I can't speak to it, and I don't want to say whether it was good or it was bad. But it was roundly rejected by anyone <laughs> so the critics were pretty hard to hard on it i don't know if it's a good movie or a bad movie he's an interesting choice to direct that film mm-hmm. but yeah. from the reviews and from what i've read he didn't really do anything with it so i don't know did but, you see um, both brianna or just the original no i have old boy i can see it on my dvd shelf but i have never watched it and i've i've read reviews and i've watched like movie like i've watched youtube like commentary on the old boy remake but i've also not seen it but i know about it and sure. how like bad it apparently is yeah yeah <laughs> i haven't yes, seen it I either see. unfortunately just the original yeah uh, I hope that, that we never see a remake of this film because I really don't think that they can touch it. But, you know, maybe someday someone will. Tr- I mean, the, the rights are being developed right now. So someone's going to try them some, at some point. But um, so the film opens with Aoyama's wife and the mother to his son dying in a, in a hospital room. It's this really sort of like touching. Very, most of the first like 45 minutes of this film are pretty just sweet. Like, I, I don't know that I would even say that there's much sort of ominous component to it. It's just sort of like, it's a straight up kind of this older man lost his wife. We jumped seven years later um, and he's a middle-aged widower and he's being urged by his son, uh, Shikihiko to begin dating again. Um, But like, it wouldn't be a Takeshi BK film if it wasn't like the son saying, Hey dad, you should be dating. But also let's talk about how this fish was a hermaphrodite. (laughs) (laughs) I love the sun. He seems like such a great kid. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but also, sure, yeah, this fish somehow impregnated itself. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, that's a good father son relationship though. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a great one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then Ayoyama meets up with his friend, uh, Yokikawa uh, for a drink. And there's this amazing moment um, that I'm sure you guys clocked where they look over at this table of women with disdain because they're having such a good time <laughs> and they're sitting at the bar and there's just this yeah. moment of like that to me screams like the current moment for like white men over 60 right now like they're all looking at everyone in America with just disdain and anger at the fact that like somehow something got away from them like there's this this feeling this resentment that I think is really interesting um and it, it it feels generational. It feels a little bit like Mikay is kind of thumbing his nose at like the older people. You know, the, I I don't know if you guys did you remember that moment? Did you clock that moment? I remember it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. I think it's I think it's what you think it is, and I think it speaks to you know the the notion of Japanese society slowly moving in a different direction where women have totally. a 
bigger voice, a bigger voice in society and in politics. And I think it's pretty clear that, that a lot of men don't like giving that stuff up. So, uh, yes, yeah, so I, that that, I, I think that's what the movie's about. So I think you yeah. uh, I think you hit it on the head with that moment. Um, so then they come up with this plan. They're going to do this audition. Uh, we have this scene where Ayuyama is looking at the headshots. And I found it very kind of um, oddly felt like a dating app. It felt like he was swiping right and swiping left. Yeah. Um, which uh, made did not make me feel good <laughs> as someone who is on dating apps. It just made me feel like there's this disposability to it that is a little bit sad to me for what that's worth. Um, at least they're swiping back at you, but sure. Yes. Yes. There's an interactive component. Sure. Sure. But yeah, that, I, I think that's, I think that's true. I think there's some, something prescient about that. Yeah. There's also something about Ayuyama turning to his friend or calling his friend or something and says, it's hard to pick. It's like picking my first car. I didn't like that. Mm. That was gross. Um, then we have sort of this lovely, beautiful music score that kicks in when he sees Asami's headshot. Um, we see that she was a ballerina who hurt her hip, and it's all equates to ballet, to death. Um, Paw flash to his wife sitting up in the hospital bed, which was really unsettling. All of the pop flashes to his wife feel like this foreboding presence that's trying to warn him away from something. Did you interpret it that way? I don't even remember that. This has been quite a few. I've honestly, this was a few days ago now. I remember the movie. But like, I've watched so many movies since then, yeah. and I've already forgot the last movie I watched. So, yeah, I don't even. I don't even remember. Oh, but I do remember the whole scene. Like, I just can't remember this like specific part of it. <laughs> so I'm still kind of taken with your dating app poll. Sure, please. Like, please. I, no, I think that there's definitely something like. There's something to that. There's something interesting about that. There's something – I don't know. I feel like we – in 2020, dating apps are – are for obviously omnipresent. Mm-hmm. They also – you know, we're, we're going about 10 years into like the, the, the Tinderization of dating, right? Um, and when they're used in pop culture, they're – almost always used simply as a tool to get you from point A to point B in a story. And there isn't a lot of, and then obviously there's this, there's this other idea, which is kind of like on the surface as well, which, you know, the idea of like, it's so much work and you have to, you know, curate yourself and all these, you know, kind of more or less obvious ideas about them. But this, what you're talking about, is a more interesting commentary on dating apps than anything I've seen since dating apps have actually existed. You know what I mean? Like, is there anybody who's actually done something interesting about dating apps in the last 10 years? In a movie? In a movie or show? (laughs) There was no, wait, wait, that wasn't a, uh, I'm thinking about something else. I don't think so. I was thinking about that movie called Jexy. I think I don't think that's a dating yes, yes. app. Though. That's like that? an Alexa. It's like, a, it's like, like an Siri. AI. Yeah, or something. yeah it's like a yeah. Siri. Yeah, yeah. But, but to that, but to that point, you know, like AI is just like on the, it's just barely on the horizon when Spike Jones makes yeah. her, and it's you know brilliant and Which perfect. I love. I love yeah, it's it. an, it's amazing and unbelievable in its own way but like the yeah. the dating appification of american and the worldwide dating yep. is such a fundamental change in the way humans 
interact yeah. and behave, and we don't talk about it enough. There was that one article in Variety in in, in, uh, in Vanity Fair about eight years ago that was perfect, and like the the simple like the seed of it was um, mating has mating has never undergone this kind of change since like people stopped with dowries yeah. and arranged marriages. Yeah. Right. It's a seismic shift in the way that we seismic meet. shift. Do you, and on I mean, top I don't of know. That. If, I don't mean to, to, to pry into your personal life, Brianna, but uh, I, have you been on apps? Do you feel, cause I feel like it's different for women than it is for men. Uh, she's shaking her head. No, okay. no, I don't. I don't use Tinder. I used Tinder two times in college just as a joke. And then I uh-huh. actually used it just before uh, lockdown. I went on one cool. date. I hated it and I deleted the app. So I'm, I don't use it. Totally, totally <laughs> fair. I, and that was, that was no judgment. But yeah. Where are you from, Brianna? I usually ask I, this earlier, but. I live like uh, just outside of Philadelphia. Where? Oh, well, um, you don't have to tell people. Don't tell people. <laughs> I, okay. I don't trust people. But yeah, I know. I, I, I don't I, either. Don't trust people. Ken, <laughs> yeah. well, Kenny's, Kenny's from, Kenny is from that area. I'm from oh, the East Coast. You? Well, I went to school in Philadelphia. Oh, where'd you but, go to school? I went to Penn. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Cool. But are you from Philadelphia? Did you grow up there? I grew up in the, the suburbs, Philadelphia yeah. area? Oh, yeah. I've mind. lived here like pretty much all my life. Yeah. Nice. Cool. <laughs> cool. Love it. <laughs> I want to fucking leave, but you know. <laughs> yeah well you know what they say about the main line no one ever comes and no one ever leaves i've never that heard mean? that but okay that, uh, well, uh, it, it, it means that like no one moves there but if you are from oh, there you never I see. leave I, I see. um so sense. i've been told <laughs> i just you know, i do I've, think that there's there is sort of in that headshot scene there is this sort of um I mean, obviously, there's a commentary on 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 toxic masculinity, but it, it just I don't know. There was something very kind of dating appy to it. Um, it also feels like uh, the audition scene in particular felt very Harvey Weinstein. Me too. Like, there's a lot sort of of just the, the interaction between the two men. Like, and like at one point, his buddy hears that one of the actresses was in a porn, and he's like, "Save that one for later." to like yeah. the assistant it's just like there's a lot of grody stuff in the way that 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 this whole scene kind of plays out even the way the fucking blinds come down make it feel like you're getting trapped in a fucking prison or something and it wouldn't it wouldn't work if the movie didn't go where it went if the movie didn't if sure. the movie stayed the movie that it was uh mm-hmm. in the first i guess 60 minutes or so um, mm-hmm. It would have been a movie that everyone was really uncomfortable about watching, yes. uh, and they wouldn't really know why, right? You wouldn't yeah. really know what it was that it was doing. I mean, I think today we would because I think today we're pretty attuned to this kind of stuff. But I sure. think then it just the whole thing would have felt a little creepy because of the um, the deception and the power dynamic. Um, but I think that's what's another thing that's just so amazing and pressing it and you know, exciting about this movie is that McKay clearly figured this out in 1999, that everything we're doing is, is worse than bad. It's like, it's worse than like just creepy or like, or, or, or roguish. It is dangerous. It's infantilizing. It's objectifying. It's, it's the, the kind of thing that you should not, that you should lose sleep over, I guess is kind of what he's saying. It's really I mean, funny. Brianna, did you, what did, yeah, I was going to ask. Yeah, please go ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say when I, I had no idea what this movie was about. I'd only ever seen like pictures of the girl with the, uh, with the, sure. syringe, the syringe. So I knew it was yeah. a little fucked up. Um, but <laughs> I, I looked up, I looked up like the plot synopsis and it was just, I, I didn't want to read too much cause I kind of wanted to be surprised, but I just read like the first sentence and it was like, guy loses his wife and auditions women to be his wife. And I was like, interesting. Let's see how, how they do that. I was like, that's gotta be awkward. But then when they yeah. were like, Oh yeah, we're going to like, we're going to um, do a movie and we'll audition girls for the movie, but it'll actually be. And honestly, my thought was like, wow, that's so clever. They really got, they really like, that's actually quite smart. I didn't even think this was how I was consuming the movie. I was like, wow, they're, they're just ingenious. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they really uh, went to great lengths to, to deceive people. My yeah. God, what a, what a yeah. smart thing to do. Yeah. I was in and then of course when he. <laughs> and then when he gets a girl interested, he then says, "Oh no, the movie's not happening." But you're great, and we should just keep hanging out. And yeah, it's you, you, you honestly, know why, like, you, you why? Know why it, it did that to you was because that was the intention. That's why they had the score the way the score was. That's why they lit yeah, the yeah. room the way the room was. That's yeah. why they had the funny yeah. banter between the guys, and they had the mm-hmm. best friend who was funnier than him, and like leading him along, yeah. like. They were playing a long con on us. And that's another thing I fucking love about the movie. Like they were yep. playing this long game. Yeah. I, I mean, it's it's interesting too how like around this point, he's looking around trying to find her references and he can't seem to find anybody, which also makes me wonder like, is Asami even like real at all? Like, is she, is this like, there is a, there is a version or a theory where she's essentially a, not a figment of his imagination, but that like um, he never meets anybody through this process and that this is all just sort of some elaborate sort of um, dream of his. But he, he goes around trying to find her references. He can't seem to find anybody. Um, and then he asks her for her phone number to call her. And then it cuts to her in her apartment. There's a giant sack. Oh. And there's a phone. And oh, she's I just love sitting, that. That scene is just so sitting, good. Waiting right. for the phone to ring. It's the fucking hair, best. Like, all in front of her. Oh my yeah. god, it's so when I saw that I was like, oh don't call it's her, man. I was like singing it out loud. I was like, no fucking call. <laughs> and to me, that's like that's just like the the most fucking male gay shit of all time. Yeah. Sure, like she like she has no she has no life except sitting and waiting for your waiting phone for call. your call. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the way men yeah. look at women, right? Like, yeah. oh, she must just be sitting by the phone waiting for my phone call because I'm so wonderful. Of course. <laughs> it's it's kind of wow. so then we so we're sitting and, and the phone doesn't ring. Like we just are we just have that that one static shot of her waiting by the phone. Then they go on a, on a series of dates and the camera work on the dates where it's all POV of them looking right down the lens towards each other. You really do feel these two people falling in love. Like it really does feel um, genuine and, and quite sweet. Um, anyway, uh, then we have <laughs> the, the scene where the movie essentially kind of pulls the rug out from underneath you, which is, the aforementioned scene where she's sitting by the phone, the phone rings. This is before their dates, but either way, the phone rings and the bag like fucking <laughs> flips. Like it just like, yeah, it, it, and, and there's a, I don't know if you, the noise effect that they associated with it was like a growling tiger or some shit like that. There's like a monster noise that comes from the bag as, as it's moving. Anyway, um, it's just wow. great. She picks up the phone 
in the most sort of like, oh, I didn't know if you were going to call. I just had no, <laughs> I just love the, the comedy of it to a certain degree of her playing it so nonchalant on the phone while there's a man in a burlap bag with no tongue and like th- fingers chopped off. It's just, it's fantastic. Um, anyway, they go on a couple dates. Uh, she agrees to accompany him to a seaside hotel where he's going to propose marriage, which I guess that seems One. fast to me, but I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, and then at the hotel, Asami reveals these burn scars that she has on her legs. Um, and before they have sex, Asami demands that he pledge his love to her and no one else. Uh, and <laughs> another thumbs up from Brianna. Uh, and a deeply moved Aoyama agrees. I'm sure he just doesn't want to get, I'm sure he just wants to get laid, but whatever. Uh, he agrees. I don't and believe that. I don't believe that. I think he I know. Really, I'm, I'm, I, I just think fucking, I'm just fucking. I'm just fucking. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> How dare you question? <laughs> um, but the, the scars on her legs, uh, obviously, we'll, we'll get to that as to where that came from. But um, again, it comes back to sort of your theory a little bit, Kenny, of this like um, this this projection of this perfect woman, this perfect female, and then like destroying it a little bit within his head you know shattering that image yeah yeah um so then ayama tries to track her down through her resume uh it's all a bunch of dead ends then he gets to a dance studio (laughs) where there's a man with no feet with the scariest fucking prosthetic feet i've ever seen in my life which are like these how would you describe them like I don't even know how to describe them. They looked almost like they were made out of like wax or something. And they're like stuck to these wooden boards. Um, And he's just laughing and and playing the piano in the scariest looking fucking studio you've ever seen. Yeah. He's the the coolest guy as Brianna would say. (laughs) (laughs) That's a cool dude right there. He's pretty cool. Guys being dudes. Just do <laughs> um, And so then he goes to the bar, and as we talked about, uh, there's a guy in the hallway who knows a whole lot about these murders, by the way. Like, knows a lot about what went down. Um, but he explains that someone was murdered, someone lost their tongue, someone lost some fingers. He hallucinates, so he I, sees that in I, the hallway. Yeah, I yeah. think at this point, we, we, are, we are already in the dream. All right? Yeah. So you think it's full-on dream from this I point think it, I think from the moment he gets to that studio, he's in the dream. And I think that's that's interesting. I think that is the you next could even scene. rewind farther. You could go back to the hotel even. I think I think the hotel is real. I think they have sex. I think they fall asleep, and I think he is in the dream at okay. that point. And I think that explains. Uh, I think that that explains how he is in these places that he mm-hmm. yes, probably yes, yes, yes. could I never agree. be in. And furthermore, mm-hmm. like. The things that are like literally impossible, like characters yep. changing and appearing out of nowhere, and his son's, you know, maybe girlfriend being the one who's well, blowing what, him and all that stuff. What also tips and and feeds your theory is so at this point he goes home and he doesn't know it, but his booze has been drugged. So once mm-hmm. he drinks the booze, that's when we have the dream sequence. That's when like he's appearing in her apartment, seeing the man in the bag, seeing Mm -hmm. uh, her torture when she was a a ballet student and him burning her legs with the sticks. Like, so I agree with you that most likely from, from like leaving the hotel onward, 
we're in some sort of hallucination. But I think that's why also, he wakes up in the hotel, yeah. right? Like, yes, yes, that's that, the breaking that, point. That's yeah. what works for me as like yeah. as as a unifying theory of this. Um, yeah, I was going to say something about the uh, the drinking, but I can't remember. Don't drink. Well, I I do I do love the um, the fact that it's POV of the of the drugging like we don't actually see asami do it we just have this like weird sort of mm-hmm. almost hallucinatory perspective of zooming in on the booze and we don't really know what that's all about um but yeah this is where the dream sequence kind of kicks in we also learn in this dream sequence that he had an affair with his secretary that he was mm-hmm. ashamed of um and that she was into him and she thought it was going to be something more she uh, treat, he treats her pretty terribly early on in the movie too yeah. Like she's just he trying does. to, sorry, he treats her terribly. She's just trying to, he does. She, yeah. Sorry. He treats her terribly. Mm-hmm. He, she, <laughs> thank you for your validation. She, she's just trying, she's just trying to get some kind of acknowledgement out of him that she exists. Right. She yeah, says she's, she's like, I'm getting she married. Engaged. And <laughs> she, she almost wants him to be like, forget right. it. Run away with me. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but it's what he so says is, yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. It's it's interesting because when you meet the secretary earlier in the film and she has that scene that you're talking about where he's getting in the elevator and she's like, I'm getting married. He's like, cool. And then the door's closed. Yeah. Um, it felt like a throwaway. It felt kind of like nothing. And then at the now we're in the dream sequence and he visualizes her blowing him. And it's there's there's something about the look on her face. All of it's just really unsettling. Like he's just definitely... He's got some demons that he's not dealing with in terms of his relationship with this woman, which I think is also fueling a lot of what's going on here. Like, I think this guy is just his perception of women and, 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 and it's all kind of gone to shit. I don't know if you, did you sense that Brianna? Did you feel this sort of snowball effect of this guy kind of losing control of his life? No, (laughs) no, I really was just like, again, you you likened this to like David. You likened him to David Lynch earlier. I think one mm-hmm. of you did, and when you said that, it really reminded me of like my first time watching Mulholland Drive when they have similar kind totally. of like back ends to the movie yeah. where everything yep. just spirals into like, is this mm-hmm. real or is this not? And like, it's totally in line with my first watch of that, where it's like I'm just watching it, like what the fuck is happening? And then on a rewatch and on another rewatch, mm-hmm. I start to like kind of piece together what I believe is happening. That's how like this first watch was. I'm just watching it. I don't understand really what's going on. I'm just like, okay. (laughs) And then all my interpretations after will become a lot more like you guys. (laughs) Sure. Sure. But I think Mulholland Drive is a really good, uh, they are very similar in the like, okay, so I think this is real. When did this start going off the rails? Is this real? Um, when do we get back to reality if we ever do? I yes, think Mulholland yes. Drive, at least for me, is a little more open ended. Um, really? I, yeah, I I love and I love that about Lynch stuff. That's kind of yeah, that's yeah. kind of my thing with him, which is like, mm-hmm. um, you can graft a lot of interpretations onto most of his movies outside of the straight story, yeah. and uh, mm-hmm. and a, and and a lot of them usually work. Um, though I do strongly believe he has one in mind when he's making the movie that he's not out there trying to, but, uh, at least for me, this, this it's it's funny because I, I, well, one way for me, 
I was thinking uh, about Mulholland Drive, like you were saying, Brianna, uh, when you were talking about that moment when it turns into a dream. Because in Mulholland, it's when you go inside the box. Like yes. once you go inside the blue box, everything out, everything that happens once you're inside the box is reality, and everything mm-hmm. that happened prior to it is not. There, there feels like a branch, like a moment when the movie mm-hmm. sort of hits a fork in the road. Yeah, um, this isn't as overt. But I agree with you, Kenny, that there's definitely but, sort of a moment when it when it when the interpretation of what's reality and what's not becomes a lot blurrier. Yeah. But I don't feel like Mulholland Drive ever walks you back. Whereas I, I still think feel it walks yeah. you back. Like yeah. That, yeah. I agree with that. I think I think there's yeah. I mean, obviously people think like once you go into the box, that's actually what's real. But I still think you could argue it's it's not you, well, I mean, sure, there's sure. so many arguments you could make as to yeah. what's actually going on, and I mean, all of them are both right and wrong. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that the thing about that about Mulholland Drive too is that there's like there's a bunch of bodies, and and this is another movie where like the duality of you know the two women and like how that all blurs together. I mean, literally, you have moments where their images are are superimposed on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Like that that movie is also dealing a lot with similarly to this film with sort of like who am I. Who am I to myself? Who am I to other people? Um, and and sort of that that's sort of the it's interesting that horror tends to explore that idea because I don't I obviously won't speak for you guys, but I know for me personally that like depersonalization is really scary. I mean, it's it's a symptom of anxiety, but that idea of like that separation of yourself from reality is a terrifying thing. And it's interesting that so many films explore that in the in the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Do you guys consider Mulholland Drive to be a horror film? It could be. I it's think scares you could me. It has horror moments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm not Lost kidding. Highway, people think yeah. that say that Lost Highway is a horror movie, and you could. Mm. I mean, either one. I feel like you could argue it has. Horror think very. He has horrific imagery that's very unsettling and stays with you. Yeah. So it's to your point, Kenny. I don't know that it necessarily fits like lock. It totally locks into a horror genre at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't but... remember being scarier than the second time they went behind the restaurant in my life. Oh. So I the really, guy behind the so dumpster is the scariest fucking thing behind ever. The dumpster. So scared. I was like the, when they're walking back, so like, and then I was so scared with the with the, little, the little person in the apartment. Like they're like true moments of true terror in that movie. Um, that uh, that that just for some reason eclipse anything in a a horror movie marketed as a horror movie if that makes sense i go to those movies ready to go you know like i'm almost never scared by a horror movie because i'm like all right you can't scare me what are you gonna do to me that's kind of how i am yeah (laughs) but can i just say that it's funny you bring up mulholland drive because i remember seeing that in the theater and I, i mean a lot of it Got to give credit where credit's due. And Angelo Badalamente's score is so unnerving. As they're going behind that fucking dumpster, you're like, whatever is behind there is bad fucking news. But there's two (laughs) films that I had similar, that that I was exhausted by um, because I didn't fully know what I was walking into. And I wouldn't say that either of them were horror films necessarily, although maybe one of them is. One was Good Time, which literally by the end of that film, I was like, I'm fucking exhausted. I need to go to sleep oh, yeah. and then the other one was green room oh yeah nice green room i i went into green room knowing nothing about that i saw the reviews were really positive kenny you would love it you need to watch green room it yeah, is it's, it's newish right really like, last few, four, uh three, last four like yeah three four years something like that 2015 um, yeah. oh wow god 
because um, it's Anton Yelchin who is no longer Life with us. Life goes fast. Um, you would love it. Do you know what it's about, Kenny? Uh, like a band in a green room. It's about a band in a. It's about a punk rock band that goes yeah. to play at a bar that's populated by neo Nazis, and they play a song that pisses them off. Oh, I'd love this. And it then they get trapped in the green room as they're basically killed off one by one. It's fucking horrific. And it, I, I swear to God that halfway through it, I was like, do I have to go? Like, do I have to actually leave the theater? Like, is this something that I can't actually sit through? And and I, I give myself some credit for sticking it out. But like that to me is a truly exhausting piece of cinema. But oh, did you I'm like green room? Today. Yeah. Yeah. Green room is great. I am. Um, <laughs> director. That director did something else. I forget. Sonia? Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, I know he did Blue Ruin and he did Hold the Dark, but I thought there was something else after Green Room that he did or before. He directed the first two episodes of uh, True Detective season That's right. three. Oh, yeah. I like True Detective season three. I'm trying to think. I thought there was like one other movie that. I don't think not. he has another film. Maybe I've just then. been meaning to watch Blue Ruin, but I loved Green Room. It was it was fucking insane oh, and intense. Kenny, you, yeah. Suffocating. You gotta watch it, Kenny. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think I'm gonna watch it right after this. Yeah. Dude, yeah. Patrick I wanna hear your thoughts on it. it. He plays a Patrick Stewart. Head. It's great. <laughs> yeah. okay. You're really gonna love it, Kenny. Um okay, so now we're we're at we're back in uh, Asami's apartment. The the man in the sack is crawling out of, of the sack um to eat his vomit dinner. Um, <laughs> and so fucking gross um and then uh and now we're back so now we're back at at uh at uh um his house and asami is there uh she's injected him with a paralytic agent he's paralyzed on the ground she's wearing this black leather apron and black leather gloves looking dope as as fucking hell um and uh she says something that I think is fucking incredible. Um, she says, all words are lies, but pain doesn't lie. When you're in pain, you'll see your own shape clearly. <laughs> I, I can't fight so those words. I mean, that's those are pretty accurate words. You know, it's funny. Did you guys see Palm Springs? I know you did, Phil. Yes. Brianna, did you see yes. it? Yes. Yeah, I reviewed it. Yeah, I loved it. Remember how how pain was such a, a yes, through line of that yes. movie? How you yes, saying, you know, the pain is real. The pain. Oh is Oh my real. god! Yeah, I, yeah. I, I touched on that in my review. I thought that was it's it's something that's so briefly touched on, but when he does, it feels so like palpable. Just how yeah. like morally gray and ethically like like it makes you think about that. Like I, I don't know. I but yeah, I yeah. really like that that aspect. Something it also gives like. It gives another layer to the J.K. Simmons component, too, of, yeah. like, all the various ways that he's killing him and torturing him. Mm-hmm. It really makes you feel, like, it gives the, the humor so much more of an edge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want anything else out of that movie except for a slightly better ending. But it there is this idea that <laughs> I've heard from people, and I'm not, I don't think anyone's genuinely pitching this, but that this feels like a sequel. Right? This feels like there's a whole Andy Samberg... Groundhog Day movie that happened before, which I don't hmm. want. I'm not interested in that movie at no. all. Like, no, we, not we, at got, all. we got what we wanted and what we needed out of this movie, and I respect it for that. But I think part of the reason people feel this little, like, you know, almost like phantom pain of an Andy Samberg prequel is because of that line or that notion. Like, mm-hmm. what have you gone through that yeah. you 
can feel that way that you can that that you can you know be so in touch with the idea of pain still hurts even after a million days on earth you know it's dark yeah it's it super is. dark and it's, I, I would I, I would argue it's it's so much better not having an answer to that right i mean mm-hmm. us bringing our own stuff to that question is what I think, I mean, it's one of the things that I think makes the film so powerful. I agree. Um, it's, also, it's also interesting, I rewatched, um, I'm, I re-watched uh, USS Callister, the uh, Black Mirror episode. Oh, yeah. That uh, Christy Malati is also in that as well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going some, to do something very embarrassing. I'm consi- I was considering pretending like I saw it. <laughs> because I don't want anyone to think I didn't see it because I've been meaning to watch it forever. But I can't have it. I can't have you give it away. It's too important. Aww, <laughs> it's like, okay. I'm not. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give anything okay. away. I promise. I'll just it say really that good. it's very good. And and that there is a there's an alternate reality where pain still exists. Is the point I'm trying to make. So mm-hmm. a, a, emotional and physical pain still exists. So that idea of being trapped in a circumstance that you can't escape from, that you feel the emotional and physical pain, is very similar to what. Ayoyama is going through here, which is he's literally paralyzed and yet he can still feel everything. He can't move, but he can feel all the pain that she's still doing to him is very, very much to your point, similar to Palm Springs and, and to a certain extent, USS Callister. Um, she puts the needles in his eyes and then oh. flicks them. Like it's so fucking dope. So cool. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, it's so, it's so, she's so cool. I mean, like, you know, she's so cool. I know that's the problem with me. It's like you know, it's supposed to be a cautionary tale, and I'm like, no, I want crazy. I want the crazy one. <laughs> needles in your eyes. It's just, it's just, it's tremendous. And so, um, she tells him that he's just like everyone else in her life. He's failed to love only her, and she can't tolerate his feelings for anyone else, even his own son. Um, and then she uh, saws off his left foot. Oh no, please, Brownie, you were going to say something. I thought that that reminded me that. Uh, the part about her wanting him to love only her and, but he'll always have love for his son. It brought up such like an interesting thought to me about like when you have kids or when you, you fall for someone, you get in a relationship with someone who has kids, like you'll, you'll never, you get what I'm saying? Like you'll never, their, their love for you will always be imprinted on you. It's not, but it'll always be split. You'll never have that person fully. So it's like what she was saying was obviously very fucked up, but it spoke to something that's very real. A hundred percent. I'll take, I'll I'll go in a different direction with that. Um, the same kind of idea. Like my wife comes from a very big family and they're incredibly close and I can never have all of her the way she has all of me because she will always have things that her sisters provide her that she just doesn't need from me. And Mm -hmm. I need her in a way that she doesn't need me. So yes, that really does ring true to me. You know, I also to, to, to jump on that a little bit. um, Have you both seen before sunset? No. Okay. Um, This doesn't give anything away, but I just want to say this one quick thing. Uh, In that film, there's a moment where Ethan Hawke is talking about how his wife's attention, how he doesn't have his wife's attention as much because she's raising their their son Mm. Um, and how that became 
hurtful to him at a certain point that he felt like he didn't have all of her love. Mm-hmm. And Julie Delpy says, well, that's not possible. I mean, that's that's part of being a mother. It's part of being a parent, you know, that you, you have to be able to give a part of yourself to that person, that mm-hmm. child. Um, at the same time, I, I, I think about Asami and I think about the abuse that she's been through and I think about how she's lost everybody. So on some level, I understand the desire and the need to have somebody wholly and completely. Mm-hmm. Even if I think that's an unreasonable demand, I do sort of see where she's coming from. Right. It is an unreasonable demand, kind of. Right? Like, mm-hmm. kind of. It might be an unreasonable demand of him, <laughs> but it's not an unreasonable demand yes. in general. Right, I think it's like, like it's like an extreme request of something that like we all feel like we all want yeah. to be wholly loved by someone and have their full undiverted attention. So it's like what she's manifesting is just a very very extreme version of like I feel like what we all primally desire. And I'll say one other thing about I mean the Ethan Hawke thing. Really, totally, I found very you know that's a that's a really interesting idea. The one I always go to for whatever reason in that that same vein is in the pilot of 30 something made like a hundred years before Brianna was born. Yes. One, I don't know what this is. <laughs> one of the, it was, it was like, there's a show called 30 something. It was an 80 show. Um, okay. and <laughs> it's a drama and it was, you know, kind of lauded for it's like Frank, you know, Frank nature when it came to relationships between men and women and people like trying to pull themselves together in their mid thirties. Or early 30s and the husband like his bit one of the, the husbands his big gripe with his wife was like ever since you had a kid i felt like i was second place and i think like you know there's that ridiculous trump idea about how there's only a certain amount of energy in your body for the, your whole life and that's why it doesn't work yeah. out one uses all all his energy <laughs> yeah people fall into that trap <laughs> I think people fall into that same trap when it comes to the idea of love right that you only have a certain amount of love to give Mm-hmm. And if you give all of your love to your spouse or your child, you have no love for anyone else, which is just, I can tell you from experience, it's not, I have four kids and I don't love my kids one fourth as much as someone with one. You have an, you have an un, you, 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 you have an unending well of love to give just like right. you have an unending well of energy, Don. So <laughs> can I, can I just, I want to, I want to piggyback on that for a quick second. Have either of you ever read the book, uh, still life with woodpecker by Tom Robbins by any chance? Mm-mm. It's a book. No. Tremendous book. Um, that I think you would both really love. Um, but there's a line in it and it kind of taps into what you're talking about here, Kenny. Essentially they talk about how it's a, uh, that magic, if you will, that the, that the chemistry between two people, that the, the spark between two people is not infinite that there is only a certain amount of magic that can exist between two people and that you have to be careful not to burn through all of it at the beginning, because if you do, then there won't be any magic at the end. And I don't think that that's, I'm not trying to equate that to love, but I do think that there is something interesting about that idea of, of chemistry, of when you're supposed to be with people and for how long, like I do think there is something interesting to that and, and, and does fold into this film in a lot of ways. I mean, we don't get to see his relationship with his wife. We don't get to see their happiness or if they were ever happy or who knows. But we can only assume because of her looming presence that she left an impression on him. Um, and, and, and what that means to him in terms of romance, what that means in terms of magic, all that sort of stuff, I think is, I think is interesting. Um, but at this, at this point in the film, we're obviously like knee deep in like the heart of 
Asami's torture of him. She's sawed off one of his feet um, and throws it against the glass perfectly. I, it is I hilarious. Truly cracked up. Like <laughs> she just it, like the thump against the glass is just perfect. I think it's one of the greatest comic relief moments in movie history. <laughs> you know the purpose of that is to like you know like let like like as a release valve you need yes. it it's yes. so fucking good it's you so good blood blood mark on it she's ugh. the blood mark and also just the gleeful way she says you're not going anywhere without any feet <laughs> yeah <laughs> just it's it's fucking fantastic um so then the sun shows up uh and asami is about to cut off his other foot but then the sun shows up she tries to spray him with i'm assuming some sort of a sedative or something that that um but as she attacks the sun we are back in the hotel room asayama wakes up with a start his feet are on his body he everything is fine she accepts his proposal everything seems okay he proposes marriage. She accepts. Uh, and then he falls back asleep in the hotel only to wake up back in his house uh, with Asami fighting his son. Uh, the son kicks her down the stairs, breaks her neck. The fucking neck wound is rough. It's like this broken bone under her skin that's like pulsating. Uh, it's rough. Good wound. Um, and then Ayoyama tells his son to call the police and he stared at, sorry, it's, it's great. Uh, and then uh, Ayoyama tells the son to call the police. Uh, he's staring at Asiyama, who repeats stuff that she said on their first dates about her excitement of seeing him again. And that is how we end the movie. It is like the end of Dr. Zhivago. It's so good. It's so romantic. <laughs> I don't even understand. I was crying. It kind of is. I didn't even understand what yeah. it was. How did, that, how did you do that to me? So it was, yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> It's it's also there's a part of part of it's the music cue coming in, right? You have this slow push on her, this beautiful music cue that comes in. He's looking at her honestly in a way of longing. Like he's got fucking needles in his eyes and he's still looking at her with love. And she's got a broken neck and she's still looking at him with love. To your point, Kenny, it is a surprisingly romantic ending. I don't even know what to take from it. Like <laughs> that, that, that one's kind of hard for me, but I do know that I felt like, God, you guys could have had something. I did. Switch that book back on. Like there was something there guys. No, I, I, I definitely think that the, I mean, it comes back on itself, which is probably your point. It was your point about Mulholland, yeah. which Mulholland is a little bit more sort of vague and, and a little bit more ambiguous about the way that it ends. This film is a very oddly romantic and, and perhaps even hopeful ending, depending on how you want to interpret it. But but I also just feel like um, there's something, I think the thing that affected me the most had a little less to do with the romance between the two of them or the love between the two of them as it was asami being this i don't want to say a victim because i i don't i don't like that terminology but there does seem to be something about how she um was mistreated and that this is how this story ends for her that kind of broke my heart as well yeah you know Mm -hmm. um 
I, I, I don't know. How did how did the ending affect you, Brianna? Definitely didn't feel triumphant. Like her. <laughs> I mean, because yeah, no, like, no, it's not triumphant. No, I mean the sun because it ends with the sun calling the police, yes. right? And she's yeah. on the ground. Yeah, because yep. like you know, it's like oh, he's gonna live. They're gonna get the cops. They're gonna arrest her. But you know, it doesn't make you feel good. I mean, especially as she's like reciting like. But then again, also her reciting what she said to him on her date on their mm-hmm. date made me think. I think my thought when I was watching it is that is she even a human i thought maybe she was like an alien <laughs> like because yeah. she's yeah. able to like like repeat this these exact things she said to him it was a little like uncanny to me yeah. so it's like tragic and like bizarre and it just makes you feel very uncomfortable yeah you, yeah. you guys yeah. you guys both hit it like the two parts that i think really makes make made me upset it's the the one <laughs> is yeah, yeah the 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 one is the life that she the way this life ends, yep, um, which is really upsetting to me, and it's not so much what they could have had, like it's not really about them it's it's just I don't know it's it's like this monologue that would have otherwise been really romantic happening as she's dying, yep, and all the abuse she you know she's <clears throat> gone, and also the fact that you know like again, I don't think it's real, and the way that affects him and you know, the way his demeanor changes when they wake mm-hmm. back up and the way it's affected, affecting them moving forward and a, the way a, the way a woman can be discarded for absolutely no reason. Um, yep. You know, like like a, she did absolutely nothing wrong. And he he, you know, projected all of these crazy things onto her. Like it's mm-hmm. it's rough. Like and then on top of that, like yep. his inability to to move on with his life. Like he he created this whole horror movie in his head where he's also haunted by his ex-wife and he has his son. Like the whole thing is like it it is emotionally devastating in a way that outstrips like the way it is like visually scary or viscerally affecting. It's it's a really there's also something to um and it, it kind of taps into what you're saying, Brianna, of it, it almost feels like Asami is uh, reverting back to something, like yeah. reverting back to a role that she had with him. You know, telling him what he needs to hear as her dying words is really fucking sad. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's a thought. What a Not movie. aliens. <laughs> Not aliens. <laughs> so... <laughs> But but you know what I'm saying? Like I think that that's there's there's something to that idea of in her in her dying moments that she's that she's telling him that she's taking on a role that she feels is necessary. I think is yes. is fucked. Yeah. But, I mean. Yeah. Great movie, guys. It's a good one. Great yeah. movie. <laughs> um. So Brianna, on this show, we um we rank our films. At the end of the episode, we're from zero to 99, zero being the lowest, 99 being the highest. Um, I saw this in 99, so I'm going to rate it in 99. But we also try to rate it before the podcast, like what we thought of the film going into this conversation. And then after the conversation, in, in the sense of whether or not the conversation affected your grade, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So wait, okay. I have to give it a number between zero and 99? Zero and 99, for yeah. what you thought before this conversation and then zero to 99 after the conversation. 
I would say it was a solid, like, maybe 70 or 60, where it was like, I liked it, and I thought it was a good movie, but it was definitely, like, a lot going on, and I wasn't really sure how to interpret it. So it left me with, like, wow, that was good, but, like, I don't know, it, it, it didn't really, like, it wasn't doing a whole lot for me, even though I enjoyed it, but after this discussion, I think it's bumped it up to, like, maybe an 80, and I want to rewatch it to kind of, like, have more of this conversation in my interpretation of a second watch, because there's obviously more there than I think I took in my first watch, which was much more at, like, face value. I was just kind of, like, processing each thing, like, one at a time, like, what the fuck is going on, what the fuck is happening, like... <laughs> but, yeah, no, definitely after discussing yeah. it, it, it has helped, like, my interpretation of it and my like appreciation for it i would love to like rewatch it soon i think that i had a somewhat similar experience in the sense that i saw this in 99 and i liked it in 99 but i don't think that i had i mean i definitely did not have the understanding i mean it was 20 years ago i was 20 years younger and i think that the visceral component of the last 20 minutes to a half an hour of this film is so overwhelming mm-hmm that I was kind of blown away by that stuff. And I don't think I really let myself soak it up and quite frankly, did not watch it again until last week when I watched it and Kenny and I were texting about it. I mean, it's a 90 for me now. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a maybe a 92 after this conversation. Like I think it is a, I think it's a, a, I think it is a full on masterpiece and the fact that we can have this conversation, the three of us and find all these different layers and ways to, 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 not just interpret it, but to enjoy it and to ingest it. Um, it's just so rare. I mean, Kenny and I have been doing this for you know over two years now, and this is the one of the first films, if maybe the only film we've done this far, that I feel I've had this kind of a reaction to. I would also say, like, your interpretation, Kenny, as opposed to mine and Brianna's, was perhaps richer and more interesting than the one that I took. Like, there's just so many ways of coming at this thing that it, I, I'm just I'm blown away by it. I I this was actually the first time I watched it. Um was yeah, it? Never, yeah, I'd never seen it before. Oh <laughs> but I uh I always knew I always knew about it. Sure. And I, sure. I knew so I didn't go in like I think as fresh as you, Brianna. Like I knew that I've heard people talk about it, how it starts as like I I thought it started as more of a comedy, but it starts right. as kind of a romantic comedy and turns into this wild horror film with piano wire mm-hmm. we I always like piano wire piano wire we didn't we didn't mention <laughs> piano wire once so like kudos to us um <laughs> but you but so i kind of knew what to expect in that respect um i've given like i've given a lot of movies really really high scores recently like i gave a lot of good movies though. yeah we've done some and, really good movies and i mean insider was really high and the line was just really high and i hesitate to like keep going like super high but like i can't i can't deny like i i was gonna give it a 95 before this and like there's nothing wrong with this movie like there's not a fucking <laughs> there's not a word wrong with this movie yeah. nice. for me um uh, it's a 98 like it's a 98 it's not my I don't know, man. Like, I really do think it is like happy for you. Damn. I'll be very, su- I'll be very surprised if it's not top five at the end of the year for me. <laughs> wow. 
Um, that's kind of what I think. So I love oh, it. it. I, Obviously, definitely... I love it. I think it's a wild, yeah. a wildly powerful, enduring, incredible film. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, yeah, I don't know what else. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, I mentioned to you, Kenny, that uh, it's on iTunes for like two ninety nine to own right now. Mm. So I was like, it's on know, Shutter oh, for oh, free. Oh. Yeah, that's oh, where I watched it. Um, but so I was like, I'll, I'll spend the two dollars and ninety nine cents, and I'll just buy the movie. Um, and I'm so thankful that I did because I'm gonna fucking watch this movie so many times. Like, I just know that this is a movie that. And Kenny and I've had Kenny and I have had this. We've been doing this a while, but like movies that either you watched a long time ago and you didn't really give its credit due at the time, or you hadn't seen it. This is like this is a lifer for me now. This is one of those yeah. films that I'm just like it's 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 a it's a yeah it's a top tier 99 movie in a way that uh, it's kind of mind blowing. So next week. <laughs> We're going to do a movie about a giant alligator attacking uh, Bill Pullman and Bridget Fonda. Uh, do you want to talk about the, the guest, Kenny? Uh, the guest is Delandra Mesa. She is a writer with me on Step Up High Water. She, but she has almost – well, she's, she, she dabbles in two pools. One is she's written a lot of Lifetime movies, and two is she's written a lot of horror movies for sci-fi. So she's probably she probably has like twenty or twenty five credits like that, and she is on some Takashi McKay thing where she had like a period of five years where she turned out about thirty films. So uh, she didn't unfortunately write any of the Lake Placid direct to direct to sci fi sequels of which there are five. But I'm not um, watching those. Are you watching those? I'm no, 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 no. But okay, but Delandra is the perfect person to break down a schlocky alligator movie and alligators are also my favorite animals. So I'm really excited. About really? This. Al- Here's a question. Yes. Uh, alligator versus crocodile. Which, which do you prefer? Uh, honestly, like I'm, I'm lying to you. If I could tell the difference, I know that I there are two say, different animals, I don't know the difference. but uh, I love them both. And they are both. Um, I love them because they make no sense. They shouldn't, they shouldn't exist right now. They're, they're, they're little dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Is what they, are. they are fucking they're dinosaurs. dinosaurs. They're the best. Little fucking dinosaurs. dinosaurs. Little yeah. horrifying dinosaurs with giant, horrifying giant spiky teeth filled mouth. And they're also so fucking cute. Like, there's something about them that's I like so that, cute. Um, oh, yeah. That, that Brianna looks like she's wearing an apron right now. My hope is that it's a leather apron, but I know that it's not. Oh, Whoa. no. It's like, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> if only. No, it's just fucking overall. Yeah. <laughs> um, well brianna thank you so much for coming on we really really appreciate it i'm sorry yeah, that it was such a uh you know it was a whole emotional roller coaster trying to get you on here but i'm so glad that we made it happen and will you please come back for another movie like in the future? i would love to yes thank you for having me podcast like it just podcast like it podcast like it's 1999 Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.